Hello listeners, and welcome back to Missing the Missing. My name is Anne Caldwell, and I'll be your host every Thursday, taking you into the life and subsequently the disappearance of a missing person. As I'm sure you've heard it said before, hundreds of thousands of people go missing in America every year. Luckily, most are accounted for pretty quickly. But what about the ones that stay missing? Are they missing of their own free will? Do they want to be found? Could they be victims of foul play? Or did they succumb to a terrible accident to which they were the only witness? It's my hope that by bringing more awareness to these cases, it will shed light on new information and ultimately provide answers that are desperately needed. When someone goes missing, it not only alters their own reality, but also that of everyone their life touches. People don't just disappear. It is the mystery of all mysteries, vanishing without a trace. This week in episode 3, I had originally planned to tell the story of Sydney West's disappearance out of San Francisco, California in September of 2020. In researching her case, I came across the disappearance of Gavin Octaviano, who also went missing in the San Francisco area and whom I hadn't heard anything about prior, even though he went missing two years before Sydney. Since they were both last seen near the Golden Gate Bridge, I decided I would cover both cases in this week's episode, but lo and behold, that didn't quite work out the way I had planned. When I dove into Gavin's case initially, there were a few articles and nothing else really. I knew it wouldn't be a very long episode on its own standing, which is what paved the way for me to include it with Sydney's, based on the same last known location as a commonality. But thankfully, and gratefully, I was able to get into contact with Gavin's family, who were more than generous enough to give me a mountain more of information pertaining to the night he went missing. Because of that development, I knew I couldn't do both cases justice in combining them. So with that, this week we'll be entering into the life of Gavin Octaviano, the first to go missing of the two. What secrets does the Golden Gate Bridge hold? Where was Gavin heading that foggy Friday night? And most importantly, where is Gavin now? Gavin Octaviano was just a few days shy of his 22nd birthday when he went missing on November 23, 2018. He was last seen on a restaurant's video surveillance near where he had parked, heading toward the Golden Gate Bridge. The weather conditions were typical for that time of year. It had rained on and off all day with fog in the area as well, especially later into the evening. The temperature was a cool 61 degrees when he would have been walking around there, which was about 5.20 p.m. He was last seen wearing a heather gray North Face hoodie with a blue and black plaid shirt, dark blue jeans, and white Nike Freeze shoes. Let me give you a little background leading up to this particular moment in time. Gavin was a senior in college studying biology for research at the University of California, Irvine, when he went missing. He disappeared on a Friday, Black Friday, in fact. He was in town to see his family in Daly City, California, for the Thanksgiving break. 
He had arrived on Wednesday, stayed with his parents, celebrated Thanksgiving on Thursday, and had plans to fly back out to Irvine on Saturday. I guess you could say that Friday was a free day to hang out and visit before returning. Gavin has two older sisters, Vina, the oldest, and Steffi. He had borrowed Steffi's car that Friday, a 2008 Mercedes-Benz C300, which was found on Saturday by her husband, Gavin's brother-in-law, Vince. Most reports I found said the vehicle was found in the north parking lot. When I read that, I immediately think the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge, as the bridge runs north and south. But after talking with Vince, he sent me a picture of the location he found the car at, and it was indeed on the south side of the bridge. I will add this picture to the Facebook page. If you Google Battery Lancaster, San Francisco, that will take you to the general vicinity the car was found in, which is the south side of the bridge. That seems a bit relevant to me, what side he was last seen on. But after being seen on video, walking toward the bridge, he wasn't picked up again on the bridge or exiting the other side of it. There is a report floating around out there that a woman saw him around 9 p.m. near the Baker Berry Tunnel, also known as the Bunker Road Tunnel, or known to locals as the Five Minute Tunnel, since it is a one-way tunnel with a stoplight that lets each direction pass through for five minutes at a time. This tunnel is on the other side, the north side of the bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge itself is about 1.7 miles or 2.73 kilometers. When you map out the walk from Battery Lancaster to that tunnel specifically, it is said to be 2.5 miles, which is about an hour walk. If he was last seen on video near the car at 5.20 p.m., then it's not impossible that he could have made it over to the other side four hours later. But where was he for those four hours? Again, this account has not been 100% confirmed. The family did search that area in the surrounding Marin headlands, which is a five-mile stretch of headlands nearby, or for those of us that live in the middle of the United States, a narrow piece of land that projects from a coastline into the sea. They found no evidence of Gavin being there. So maybe it was him, maybe it wasn't. That's all I can really tell you about that specifically. Gavin's plans that day were pretty simple. He had borrowed his sister Steffi's car that afternoon around 4 to 5 p.m. He told his mom he'd see her later. He was going to run around a bit and go eat dinner with friends that night. So off he went. Now, we know that he had went to an ATM not very far away. He had gone to deposit a loan check he had received for his next semester in school. In my head, I'm thinking, what a responsible guy. And according to his brother-in-law, Vince, he had also already packed up his stuff at his parents' house because he was set to fly out the next day on Saturday. It's also now known that he had already checked into his flight for Saturday as well. By the looks of it, he was taking care of some financial business, dining with friends, and all packed up and checked in and ready to head back to school. If he'd actually returned home that evening, this would be one of the most normal, boring stories of a kid at home for the holidays. Unfortunately, he didn't make it to dinner, and he didn't make it back home. When you map out the area his family lived in, in Daly City, to where the car was found, it's about 30 minutes. I'm not sure exactly where the restaurant is that he was supposed to be at, but I'm assuming it's in the general area. The ATM was also near the restaurant. 
but I'm not 100% sure what he did between going to the ATM and arriving at the bridge parking lot at 5.20 p.m. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe he went from his parents to the ATM to the bridge. That could have been his plan, then just to go to dinner after that. It's technically out of the way, but if you consider he had enjoyed going to this location multiple times before in his life, he was in town just briefly from school, and it really is less than 30 minutes away, it's not too far-fetched to think he intentionally scheduled his time to allow for it. But if that's the case, what happened to Gavin? According to his girlfriend at the time, he wasn't acting unusual or doing anything out of the ordinary. The only thing she could think of that was bothering him was the pressure of college. They were seniors, and according to PrepScholar.com, the acceptance rate at UC Irvine is 28.8%. So it is very much a competitive college to get into. I'm sure he was serious about his studies and getting prepared to graduate. Finals for the fall semester were fast approaching, and he had just recently discovered a class he needed to take in the spring semester to graduate was full. Now, as I'm sure this was stressful and could have been causing him some anxiety, his former girlfriend doesn't seem to think this was anything they couldn't have figured out or worked through. Also, they'd been together since their freshman year in college, so I'm assuming she knew him fairly well at this point, some three-ish years later. But she does think it's fair to say he may have wanted to go off for a walk to reflect and contemplate school and all that had been going on. But there's a big difference between wanting some alone time to think and disappearing altogether. She had spoken to him the day before on Thanksgiving and had texted him that Friday, not too long before he left in his sister's car. They had both flown out of Irvine together, she going to her family's house in another city and he to the San Francisco area. She didn't think much of it when she didn't speak to him anymore that evening, but did receive a call from Vince around midnight asking her if she'd heard from him, but she hadn't. Once Gavin hadn't returned home that night and calls to him were going straight to voicemail, his family grew concerned. They knew he was set to fly out on Saturday. He had left all of his luggage and belongings packed up, ready to leave, at the house. And along with him, his sister's car was also missing. When Vince found the car on Saturday, that's when they called the police. From there, we find out the last known location was him walking toward the bridge, which that was picked up by the surveillance footage. So what happened to Gavin? Here are a few theories. Number one, as will be the theory anytime the Golden Gate Bridge is involved, he could have jumped. That's always possible, but to debunk this in this case, there was no evidence found of this. Not Gavin, obviously. He had the car keys, his wallet, and phone on him when he walked away from the car. None of those were found, not near or in the car or anywhere else nearby when they searched. The car itself was unremarkable. Nothing was unusual or out of place. There was nothing else found nearby to indicate he was in or near the water. There isn't any surveillance video on the bridge showing him on there at all, but definitely not jumping. There weren't even any reported jumpers that day. So it doesn't seem likely that he jumped unless he somehow made it completely undetected and nothing ever surfaced related to him. Where that's possible, it's not likely. Theory number two, assuming he didn't jump, then what? Well, we have the obvious, he could have left on his own accord. 
So he was almost 22. Maybe he wanted to run away from his life and start over. With this one, my big question is why? I mean, according to his girlfriend at the time, they were doing fine. He was happy with school, albeit a bit stressed, but who isn't? And nothing seemed amiss. According to his family, he was a family kind of guy. He was the youngest, the only boy. He was close to his parents. There wasn't any family drama that would suggest he'd want to cut and run. He didn't have a history of mental illness, and there was no abnormal behavior reported by anyone leading up to his disappearance. Now, I'm not a mental health expert, but it seems there is usually a buildup with people who have a psychotic break. Sometimes weeks in advance, they'll exhibit unusual or bizarre behavior. Maybe on some occasions it could be multiple days leading up to it, but if this were the case with Gavin, it would have literally had to be between when he left the house between 4 to 5 p.m. and when he was supposed to be at the restaurant at 6. That just seems very unlikely to me. But I could be wrong, so technically, yes, he could have just left, but that also doesn't seem very likely. Next possibility we have would be an accident. It's always possible something terrible happens to someone when no one else is around. Those things are bizarre to me, but it does happen. It's even more unusual if it happens and that person is never found again. But let's say he decided to go nearby to a trail to walk around, check on things, think about things, whatever he might want to do. I don't know the terrain of that area and what it looks like specifically, and I'm sure it's different at various trails around there, but I'm sure falls and slips can happen as well. Remember, it had rained that day. It was chilly and foggy. Maybe he fell somehow somewhere that he, for whatever reason, hasn't been located. Or if he survived that freak circumstance, Maybe he was confused, disoriented, amnesic, whatever, and literally got lost in the world. With that theory, he could be anywhere from a homeless camp to a completely different life to being somewhere else entirely, whether dead or alive. There's a lot of speculation and a bit of craziness with this, but I'm just laying it all out there. To tie in a bit with this as well, he was in fact seen at the five minute bridge then maybe the possibilities are endless for where he could have traveled to and been exploring. The driver said he did look confused or drunk, impaired, etc. So could he have fallen previously, been hurt, and then trying to find help? I also seem to always go back to this, so forgive me, but what if he got hit by a car? Again, it was foggy. It was night. If he survived, maybe this is him walking off, not knowing himself or who he is. Or, heaven forbid, it's someone taking his body to cover their tracks. I could probably go on and on, but I'll spare you. Lastly, we have the possibility of foul play. Whether it be by accident, like mentioned above, if it was a hit and run, or if it was a purposeful act of violence against Gavin. The police didn't find any evidence to support this, and the family doesn't necessarily believe that's a possibility either. I don't personally know what violent crime looks like in this area in the evening hours, but I'm pretty sure crime could lurk anywhere. But if he was the victim of foul play, the theories could be endless to what happened exactly and where he could be as a result. But ultimately, we just don't know. With no leads to go on, searches come and go with no new evidence. The questions go by unanswered and no sign of Gavin is uncovered. In other words, the case goes cold. But then, 
In the early months of 2020, some 15 or so months later, Gavin's sister Steffi, whose car he had borrowed, got a notification on her tile account that the tile she had attached to her car keys, the keys Gavin had when he went missing, had pinged in a location 210 miles or approximately 338 kilometers north of where the car was parked. For those of you who don't know what a tile is, I don't have one myself so I wasn't super familiar either, their website, thetileapp.com, states, quote, with tile you have a backup plan when you're heading out and your keys are nowhere to be found. Just tap find in the tile app and the tile on your keys will ring. Watch the tile detector's green rings fill in as you get closer to them. So basically you attach this little tile to an item and with the app on your phone you're able to locate it if it goes missing. Now if you can't find the item you've lost after pinging it, for instance, if it's out of range or something like that, then you can report it officially lost. And according to the website, this is what happens when that's done. There's a thing called the tile network. You tap notify when found on your app for that specific lost tile. This enlists the help of the tile network. It can help you track moving objects. Whenever a person running the tile app passes within Bluetooth range of your tile, that's lost, their device will automatically and anonymously update your app with your tile's most recent location. You'll then receive a notification of your tile's last known location so you can go back there to find it. Now you won't know who sent this, it is anonymous, so you won't know exactly where they were whenever it was pinged, but you will get an approximate location. And then of course their network continues to grow, making it easier to find the tiles and the areas that one might be missing. Okay, so that's pretty cool. I will say I had no idea that's how it worked. I kind of like the whole connection thing with this person, this person, this person and finding things. So that is kind of cool. Um, and by what I've read, Bluetooth range is up to 400 feet. So I'm assuming that's the distance the tile had to be within to pick up the signal. And what's thought to have happened was the keys were out of range once they realized he was missing which then prompted them to report the tile as lost on the app. But at that point, it must have been in a location that wasn't getting any tile traffic from any users because it was unable to be located. And maybe it was even in this very location that it finally did ping all along. And that location in question was the Feather River Highway in Quincy, California. This area smack dab in the Plumas National Forest which is like many similar areas, a place for outdoorsy recreational activities like boating and camping. Not anything nefarious necessarily, but it is an interesting place for a lost set of keys to ping at that were last known to be over four hours away, and their owner at the time has disappeared. So, what does this new piece of information tell us? The family went to the area and searched and searched, but did not find the keys or the tile device, or any other evidence for that matter. And according to the tile's website, the battery life is guaranteed for a year. So this was over a year later, and I'm not sure how long his sister had the device prior to this, but batteries are strange creatures. (laughs) Some last two days, some 12 years, you just never know in my opinion. (laughs) So I do think it's plausible it was still functioning and not some kind of malfunction. But with that, I really have no clue. Could he have made it to that area himself for unknown reasons? 
Were the keys stolen from him directly or were they picked up somewhere randomly and then somehow ended up there in a completely unrelated way to Gavin's actual disappearance? I've had trouble wrapping my head around this and what this could mean. I don't know if it suggests more that he could still be alive or if it suggests more that something bad could have happened. I guess it just depends on how you look at it. And of course, the family is going to believe this is a sign that he could still be out there. And I agree. We don't have anything else to say otherwise. And with that, I do have a personal message from his sister, Vina. Quote, Gavin, if you're listening, we miss you so, so much. Not a day goes by where we don't think of you or want you to come back home. You are always welcome home when you're ready. We will always hope and pray that you come back to us one day. We love and miss you so much, especially our mom. She cries and prays for you every day. End quote. Gavin Octaviano is 25 years old today. He went missing on Friday, November 23rd, 2018 at 5.20 p.m. He was last seen by video surveillance walking toward the south entrance of the Golden Gate Bridge. Gavin is 5'11", 175 pounds. He has black hair, brown eyes, and is of Asian American descent. If you have any information regarding his disappearance or possible whereabouts, please contact the San Francisco Police Department at 415-553-1060, the Daly City Police Department at 650-991-8119, or you can leave an anonymous tip at 650-873-2567. The family also has a Facebook page set up titled Come Home Gavin, if you'd like to check that out. If you were in the San Francisco area during this time period, please consider your whereabouts. People were around this area at the time he vanished. And if the keys are truly in the Plumas National Forest area somewhere, it is likely there are many other instances others could have seen him as well, or know something. Gavin, if you're out there, you are very loved, and it's okay to just come back home. Lastly, remember, if you know something, say something. Someone whose voice has been lost could be counting on yours. Missing the Missing is written, hosted, and produced by Anne Caldwell. You can contact me on our Facebook page, Missing the Missing Podcast, on Instagram, Missing the Missing, at Don't Wait 48, Twitter, at MTM True Crime Pod, or by email, Missing the Missing Podcast at gmail.com. All sources and links for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. We'll meet back here next Thursday for episode four featuring our second case at the Golden Gate Bridge, Sydney West. Until then, I will leave you today with some song lyrics to enjoy from the song Stand By Me, written by Benny King, Jerry Lieber, and Mike Stoller. Quote, When the night has come, and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see, no, I won't be afraid, 
Oh, I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountain should crumble to the sea, I won't cry, I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. End quote. 